Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Elodie Malier-Storm, and I apologize, Elodie, for the pronunciation of your name. <laughs> Elodie is the CEO of Catchlight, and Catchlight is a nonprofit media organization that discovers and develops visual storytellers through the practices of art, journalism, and social justice. Elodie and I talk about Catchlight's new California Visual News Desk, which is an evolutionary next step in their goal of collaborating with local media outlets and areas that are in need of good visual storytelling partnerships. And that really is at the heart of what Catchlight does, uh, is to develop good visual storytellers. Uh, we also talk about the history of Catchlight and some of the stories currently being shown and how you can see them. And I've linked to all of that in the show notes because Catchlight does a lot. <laughs> and so, um, you know, in order to help you kind of navigate that, I've put some uh, links in the show notes, probably more than I usually do, but hopefully that will be uh, very helpful. Uh, all right. Um, as always, The Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, which is an amazing way to create a book collection or add to your book collection. It is a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. And the next book I should be receiving is Joyrider by Ross McDonald. Joyrider is a coming-of-age story set against the backdrop of the Ballymoon housing estate in Dublin, Ireland. The book documents rites of passage on the block, experiences that convert youthful abandon to criminal enterprise. And you can visit charcoalbookclub.com to find out more about that. So enjoy this episode with Elodie Malier-Storm. I know I did. And of course, thank you for listening. Enjoy the show and we will talk soon. Thank you for uh, joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, so you are the the CEO of of Catchlight, and I am. Yeah, I know <laughs> you know, in journalism one on one, they tell you never to ask yes or no questions, and there, <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> so, <laughs> Catchlight uh, is a is a, a media organization, and and how old is it now? Is it about five years or more? It was um, started in 2015, so it's a yeah, a little over five years. Yeah, well, and were you involved from the very beginning? I was not. Catchlight was started by a woman named Nancy Ferris, who is a photographer herself and someone who has been involved in the media world for a long time. Has been on the board of many media organizations, mm. and is also yeah, is, is she's a big philanthropist in the media space. Oh, okay. And it, it has an, an interesting mission, Catchlight, right? It's, it is about working with local organizations, local media outlets, right? It's about partnering with local organizations. So that's one of the things that we do at the core of what Catchlight, Catchlight's mission is, is really leveraging the power of visuals, visual communication, photography in particular, to inform, connect, and transform communities. What historically, the, the way that Catchlight started is actually by um, supporting the work of leaders in the field of visual storytelling and really looking at amplifying the impact of that work. So, and we still give, you know, every year $30,000 to four visual storytellers, journalists around the world um, doing work, really meaning to engage audiences and those can be international audiences as well as local audiences. Right, that's, that's your so, fellowship program. 
Yeah, yeah. that's right. And so, so some of our fellows you probably know are people like Daniela Zachman mm-hmm. this year, uh, who started Women Photograph, and we're working with her on how do we help build sustainability in the model that she has that she has put forward and and started. We've also had people like photographer Ida Melanie, who is incredible and a powerhouse. She's a hmm. photographer um, from Ethiopia and started, you know, one of the largest photo festivals in the, on the continent called Addis Photo Fest. Right. Her work is, you know, incredible and at MoMA. But what we look for in our fellows is really like the willingness to really think through how do I get the work in front of people that really need to see it and think and think through it. And then also a generosity of spirit of wanting to move the field forward. So that's, you know, one piece of what, what we do and how we yeah. fulfill our mission. And the other, the other, it's actually, it's actually, you know, difficult to, to even like not want to say everything all up front because you, the Catchlight does has a, a, a lot of, kind of arms and, and, and outlets in the way that it assists other organizations and photographers and visual storytellers. And with, with the fellowship, you know, I, I think one of your earliest uh, awardees was uh, uh, Sarah Blessner, mm-hmm. um, right, uh, who I've had on the show. And Sarah Blessner is an amazing, amazing photographer and storyteller. In terms of, the, of that fellowship, I know that it's more than just the money, right? There's, there's support, there's ways to uh, get yourself out in the world, right? Speaking enge- engagements, activities, things like that, edu- uh, uh, talks and mentorship. In, in return, like what kind of follow-up to that would be? Like if someone were to receive that grant, you're basing it on the fact that you believe in them already and they're going to do this work. But is there a kind of, well, we'd like to see this, this, and this, or, you know, you mentioned um, this idea of also moving the field forward, right? Yeah, I think, you know, what the deliverables are tend to vary fellow by fellow. And really our goal is to help assist them in whatever goal we set out to be at the beginning of the fellowship, knowing that those things, you know, can change and and, and move. But I'll take the example of Ida, for example, because I think it's a it's a good example. And we've now been working with Ida for three years. When she came to us, she herself is a very celebrated artist. You know, as I said, her work is at MoMA and she's like broken many glass ceilings as a photographer and a, and a visual artist. But she came to us because she said, you know, that's not good enough for me. I really want to help raise the next generation of visual storytellers on the continent. And so we helped her, we funded her her workshops and, and worked with her on, you know, what is the plan for the workshops, et cetera. What's interesting to me is that, you know, Aida and the staff at Catchlight, we continue to be in constant conversation about, you know, how do we leverage the infrastructure that she has built to help moving the field forward on on the continent? And how do we help support her do that? And so in her case, you know, we are working with Open Society on um, trying to figure out how do we bring Addis Photo Fest online so that it can reach more audiences. And so it's it's just, it's continued work, but that really depends on, you know, each fellow has their own trajectory and also, you know, their own infrastructure, ways of working. And so it, it really depends okay. fellow by fellow. Yeah. But I think at, at the core of what we do, it's like, yes, it's a significant amount of money and hopefully one that, you know, takes the pressure off a little bit for a while. Mm-hmm. But then it's also like, how do we help bring some of our networks and infrastructures to help move them forward more? 
right. the long term. Right. And then, of course, uh, another part of, of Catchlight is is working locally, right? And I think yes. in, somewhere on your, your site, it says something about um, uh, uh, image deserts becoming prevalent communities. And uh, you're probably aware, if not, um, you know, there was a, recently a story about a hedge fund organization. It was it ran in the Atlantic called the Alden Group or something like that, right? And and how they're really buying and gutting local media outlets and newspapers, uh, particularly newspapers. And you know, here you are creating and partnering and trying to you know provide resources in what you know you refer to as image deserts and all in communities. And here they are destroying <laughs> local resources and local newspapers and. Do you feel like you're you're fighting a kind of battle right now, or do you feel like you know what you do is is a little outside of that, and, and you're having great success with it? I mean, I, I I definitely think it's a you know it's a, it's a battle, and it's a battle on a couple of different levels. You know, again, like that goes in line with our mission, which is about how do we leverage the power of visual communication to really inform and connect communities and. You know, when we looked at where are some of the biggest gaps and what are some of the biggest issues that we can address, obviously, like the decline of local news is a massive problem. I think for me personally, it's also been one that's been so obviously a a paradox in that when local news organizations started struggling because their business model was being challenged by the rise of platforms, but also internally by hedge funds coming in and trying to make as much profit as possible. The first thing that they did was usually to get rid of their visual storytelling Mm -hmm. staff, right? Because thinking, okay, well, we now have the rise of the iPhone, which was kind of concurrent. Can't everybody be a photographer now? And can't we just send reporters to take the one picture that will put on the left, you know, corner of the, of the, that little box that we've mm-hmm. said where, you know, insert picture that goes with the, you know, 2000 word story. I remember um, that everybody was going to be able to do everything all by themselves. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, a, a prime example of that, and I can't remember the exact date, but like, the, you know, the Chicago Sun-Times um, very famously decided yes. to fire all of their uh, visual staff and then you know, someone very cleverly like started doing a comparison side by side of what the Tribune and sometimes looked like. And it was quite obvious what, what the effect of that was, which was you have a very impoverished product and not a way of engaging really audiences in the way, you know, in the work that you're doing and the information they need to consume. And that is the paradox in many ways is that you we have seen in re- recent years, you know, platforms to so the tech industry and e-commerce heavily investing in visuals. And that's not because they want to be nice to photographers. That's because they're seeing a heavy return on investment, right? And the the irony there is that the media landscape that needs to address community and bring them information has not made the most of these tools and to the opposite has heavily invested in this space. So that's why, you know, we said in many ways that news deserts have have essentially led way to image deserts because there is a less and less visual representation of communities to themselves. And so when looking at this issue more broadly, we said, how can we build infrastructure 
that might help reverse this trend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because there is a new wave also in the media world that is like the rise of many startups and nonprofit organizations um, doing really important work at the local level. And so there was an opportunity for us, we thought, to step in and help not only fund, but build on a model for sustainability where we were like, okay, can we build a model where we can help newsrooms doing important work at the local and community level um, do so in a way that's much more visual by providing them with the ability to tap a visual journalist, but then also by providing a lot of editing, curation, and packaging support. And then thinking through, like, visuals are an amazing means of communication, and how do we leverage them to actually bring information to communities through public art campaigns or exhibitions or talks, et cetera. So that's, um, that's the model that we started testing in 2019 in the Bay Area and that we're in testing currently in Chicago. And we're about to launch at a much bigger scale now in California. Yes. Yeah. So th this is called the, the Catchlight Local, or is that what how you refer to it? Yeah. So the name of the program is Catchlight Local. And what we're building is a Catchlight Local visual desk mm -hmm. that will be shared um, between several local newsrooms in California. And so each newsrooms will have access to um, visual storytellers, either on staff or freelance, mm -hmm. depending a little bit on what their visual capacity is. And then we will provide them also with editing and, and curation as well as engagement support. Right. And and I know you spent uh, something like 11 years with Getty Images. I mean, is this your initiative? I mean, is this does this come from working in that in that industry? Um, my experience at Getty Images was amazing and I learned so much about the industry and, you know, kind of saw firsthand the shift in the industry mm -hmm. in terms of going from editorial publications that would fight over visuals and we co would compete <laughs> and we had you know, sometimes even beating wars for, you know, the best images or the most exclusive images out there between, you know, say Time and Newsweek that were still competing at the time to a world where media moved to more digital usages that were super high volume. So you didn't make a difference, you know, with one cover or one ad campaign or one billboard, but you're looking at essentially feeding mm -hmm. um, digital you know, kind of digital output that's endless. Right. And of course, Getty is... Um also, you know, a multi-image based organization in terms of what it provides, right? I mean, it's everything from the, the red carpets to local news and all those things, right? Yeah, More that's photography. exactly right. Right, right. And, and Catchlight, is, is, is Catchlight primarily focused on long-term documentary storytelling? Primarily. I mean, I think, again, our goal is really to build a new model for visual journalism and one that is sustainable in the long in the long run and um in you know in this particular case it needs to be sustainable but we're also operating in a non-profit environment i was going to so, ask about that because you come from the profit world with getty images I, and right and, I, I do. <laughs> yeah and this is the non-profit you know on a, on a sort of more personal note was that a conscious decision on your part to move into nonprofits or to just sort of opportunities present itself? Uh, like, were you thinking in terms of, I, I'd like to move towards a, a different model? 
I mean, I think, you know, I've, when I worked at Getty Images, I was already involved in some nonprofit organizations. So I've been on the board of Photoville, for example, since oh. pretty much the beginning. So I've always kind of straddled both. Um, I did meet Nancy, who founded Catchlight, while I was a GSK fellow at Stanford. And, you know, a lot of what I looked at when I was a fellow at Stanford was this shift in the media ecosystem and, and the resulting shift in photography. And Nancy and I started having a lot of conversations. And then I, you know, I came on the advisory board of Catchlight. And then eventually she convinced me that, you know, it would be good for me to step in as CEO, which, you know, I'm really glad I did. It's a very different environment, obviously, than, than a large corporation. We're talking here like a nonprofit startup. But, you know, a lot of the lessons that I learned at Getty Images, I'm able to apply now. And it was also like the intimacy of my understanding of, of the marketplace and, and a lot of, you know, the, the companies I looked at and a lot of the partnerships I built helped inform my, my work now. So mm. I, I just see it as a continuum rather than a, than a split, if you will. Yeah. I, actually, um, I didn't know about the Photoville connection. <laughs> and that explains some of the pictures on your site from Photoville. <laughs> It does. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've been a big fan of Photoville and that yes. team for a long time. Yeah. No, Photoville is wonderful. I'm fortunate to live close enough to go every year. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes. So in terms of uh, fellows, just to get back to, back to that for a moment, it, it's an application-based process? For for the Cashlight Fellowship, it's an application-based process, yes. And we generally tend to open it towards early early in in the year like um so january february All right is it a, a set committee reviewing that or is it people chosen every year we rotate the the jury every year because it's a lot to ask for them mm -hmm. you know for people to come back over and over again and look at 400 right applications it's just a lot it's just a lot of work. Right. and now as you expand into this also a uh, visual desk model and mm -hmm. I want to talk about California uh, in a moment, but will some of these fellows also be part of that? Or how are the uh, photographers and storytellers chosen for that? So it's a different, it's a, it's a completely different application process for local than, than for our fellowship. For the local program, for those visual journalists, in this case, they will be placed as staff members in newsrooms. Mm. And we're partnering with Report for America actually to, to do that. These visual journalists will be full-time employees of those, of those newsrooms. Generally speaking for local, what we are looking for in a visual journalist is obviously like, you know, some expertise in visual storytelling, but also we feel it's really important that there is an intimacy from with the community that right. you know, the photographer works in so that there is a deep understanding of that community, a deep respect, a collaborative approach, and, you know, the ability to really bring nuance and perspective to it. And I think, you know, the work that our fellows have done in the Bay Area, both David Rodriguez, Jessica Prado, and Felix Uribe, as well as Sebastian, show this really deep intimacy and incredible nuance, access, collaboration that makes for deep connection with the work. So it, stories may, may be founded in, in sort of both either direction, right? Stories may be something thought of at the, the desk end of it. Stories may also be presented by people 
who you're representing. Yeah, and newsrooms too, right? right? So we are we are working with newsrooms that are so for example, I mean a, con- a very concrete, I mean I think maybe a couple of concrete examples would be helpful in this case. So in Salinas, for example, so we worked as part of our pilot in the Bay Area with a newsroom in Salinas called the Salinas Californian. And we really worked with them at the onset at looking at like what stories are we going to cover in the long run. And we looked at the problem of housing of farm workers in particular in in Salinas and like the cost of housing. And Sebastian started doing really important work with um, some families there. And then David Rodriguez stepped in once Sebastian went back to Chicago. And by then COVID hit. And so we decided with the newsroom that it was just so important for us to follow how COVID was actually going to play out for those farm working families in the, on a couple of different levels. One is obviously housing. Those are extremely you know, crowded environments where COVID was spreading much faster than in other parts of the community. The other part was farm workers had to still go to work and that left children at home not going to school. And, you know, who is going to take care of the kids and how are they even going to access schools? And all of these things being visualized is just so important from, you know, again, from the inside, not not from an outsider's perspective. And David comes from a farm working family and had like such a deep understanding and empathy, but could also see, you know, some of the beauty of the situations and how people stepped up and helped each other and it was just, it's just really wonderful Is and emotional the, reporting. Yeah. The exhibition Care in the Time of COVID? That's coming Actually, um, David's work is not included in that. Jessica and Felix's work is, oh, is there okay. because they worked in San Francisco and David worked in Salinas. But, oh, okay. Um, right. So this is at San Francisco City Hall. Yes. Right, right. Um, okay. But Jessica's work is there. And Jessica, Jessica, well, both Jessica and Felix's work has a very similar tone to it, um, Jessica also has an extraordinary story where she was a student at Berkeley and when she was a student there, couldn't quite afford to pay for an apartment and so decided that she would actually end up buying an RV so she could live in a stable situation. And she has been a very important part of the RV Mm. community since. She became a Catchlight Fellow in 2019, and we worked with her with the San Francisco Public Press, which is a local nonprofit local media outlet in San Francisco. And we decided to look at the difference between parking policies between Berkeley and San Francisco. It just so happens that San Francisco has much harsher parking policies than Berkeley at the time. And like what that meant in terms of the ability to access resources and mm. community. And again, this is like a very insider look at what it's like to live in an RV and to live through those, you know, restrictions in terms of parking. Similarly to David, when COVID hit, again, this is a community that will face much greater challenges. And so we decided that it was really important for Jessica to continue her work and give this inside perspective of what it's like, but also to bring information back to the community because 
you know, if you think about this community, when COVID hit, all the public spaces that they used to access to get the internet, so meaning like their information, to access showers, to access food, all of that, you know, kind of disappeared right. from one day parks to the shut next. Down, private parks shut down, public parks. Even um, at some point, I remember a story about Walmart saying they were going to start closing their parking lots uh, where people used to just park overnight to sleep. Exactly. And so that created a whole other host of issues. And so we actually worked with her in on both ends of the spectrum, meaning her reporting out what was going on in the community, but also her bringing information back in because she is also a trusted messenger. She is a vector of information. And so we um, worked with her and disturbed actually to do posters that she could distribute to the unhoused community in San Francisco with, you know, clear descriptions of how to protect yourself from COVID and Mm. also how do you access resources? Um, Where do you get food? Where do you shower? Where can you access the internet at this particular juncture? I know um, people have this very romantic idea of boondocking, right? Boondocking is when you just take your RV and you go out into a place that has no resources. It's either public land or maybe even private land. And but the the downside to boondocking is you're also very vulnerable out there, and you know the, a situation like this is you know, making people find more of their own spaces or or forcing people to find their own spaces. They're also forcing people to to you know stay in in more vulnerable uh, places as well. Yeah, no, and that that I think was very important work that Jessica did and is continuing to do. We saw a lot of pictures during that time of people describing the their quarantine experiences. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we discussed with Jessica how important it was for her to actually document what it's like when you have to quarantine in an RV. Right. Um, and so she did a film called Quarantine Diary that the San Francisco Public Press published, but actually the BBC also published. And so that's great to see the right. work. Yeah. And you also have another fellow, yeah. Samantha Cabrera, who has a, a yes. show right now, uh, Meeting History, a Garfield mm-hmm. Park Citizen Archive. <laughs> and that's in Chicago. That is. Chicago Public Library. Yes. Uh, so this this episode is um, is going to air sometime later in October. Will those shows still be up? They will be up. So Samantha's exhibition is going to be up until November. Mm-hmm. At least 15th, um, I think, is the last date that we heard. But it might go a little longer. And then um, the exhibition at CD Hall in San Francisco of Jessica and Felix's work, as well as other San Francisco artists who have done important work during COVID, will be up until April. Okay. And, and that show with, with Samantha Cabrera involved an investigative report by ProPublica? That's right. So we have set up a, a, another pilot for this Catchlight local program in Chicago, um, which has been running since the beginning of this year. And she, Samantha, similarly has been collaborating with ProPublica. So from the beginning of the desk, like we do every time, we pair a visual journalist with a a media publication that's local, in this case, ProPublica Illinois. And we look at an issue in the long term. Samantha's work follows the work of a reporter, Tony Briscoe, who did work in Chicago about what happened to Garfield Park and the fact that the city heavily invested in this neighborhood and created a whole host of issues because of it. 
what Samantha did kind of in response to Tony's work and in collaboration with Tony is go back to the community and tell the story of Garfield Park visually. So she did portraits of some, you know, important members of the communities, pillars of the community, like Reverend Hatch, but also asked them to share some of the images that they had in their personal archives of what the neighborhood has looked like through the years. And it's a very moving Mm -hmm. work to see, you know, all these community archives come together in dialogue with Samantha's portraits. And then, you know, as we do every time we thought about, you know, how do we bring this work back to the community? So it's obviously wonderful that it's published in ProPublica, but how do we make sure that the residents of Garfield Park have access to the work as well? And so we thankfully built a connection with the Legler Public Library in Chicago, which is in Garfield Park, and right. decided to put an exhibition there. And Is that where the panel talk was as well? Yeah, and yeah. that's where um, Samantha you know, has done tours for community members so she set up at the farmer's market there Hmm. two or three times and has brought the community members through and then we're also talking with them to do an education program for for some of their after school students that they host at the library that library is is a magnificent building and it has incredible programs Hmm. for residents and so we're really looking at weaving weaving that program in and education is something we also think about a lot and we work on actually with photo wings in terms of like, how do we make sure that we also use, you know, this work that we have already invested in to kind of teach the next generation of potential digital storytellers. Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, I asked you before about how you, how storytellers apply and how you find storytellers in both, you know, the fellows and in this Catchlight local a part of the operation. But you know, talking about your partnership there with ProPublica and this introduction of the visual desk, is there a, I don't know how to say this, like not a vetting, but do you also look at the organization that you'd also be providing work to? Is there a kind of standard for that? Is it, do they need to be nonprofit or are you just sort of looking for good organizations, good local, smaller organizations? That, that's a very good, that's a very good and interesting question. So I think the first criteria is to make sure that we are not helping subsidize the cut of yes. visual storytellers yes. and reporters in newsrooms, mm-hmm. right? So we would not provide visual storytellers at a subsidized price. I mean, That's we, right. we generally, we're generally speaking, ask newsrooms to contribute to the program because we feel like it's a very important thing. But, you know, we don't want to help newsrooms cut their staff by subsidizing other mm-hmm. things. So all of that to say that I don't think we would work with an Alden publication. Right. We have worked with we have worked with for-profit as well as non-profit organizations. I think the first criteria for us is are you really interested in visual storytelling work? Are you really committed to it? And not just again because you are trying to feel that like upper left corner of your template but because you think that, you know, this is a way to really reach audiences in a meaningful way. We ask newsrooms, obviously, to commit a certain number of time and resources in the collaboration. It's it's no joke. So I think the first criterion is like, is this something you're really interested in? 
the second one and the way that we judge that is that are you willing to commit to a certain number of hours meetings where we you know look at work review work together oh so as it's happening there's a partnership involved editors oh, on, sure. at, now, at their organization your editors yeah so jenny stratton who has been leading this program meets with newsrooms and and our fellows on a very you know regular basis and then we've also hired and having the plan you know, both for California and we had um, in Chicago a visual editor that's working with those newsrooms and the fellows on an ongoing hmm. basis. Again, that editor is local, so he or she understands, you know, the nuance of a place much better than we would from, from where we stand. But that's a very important part because when we started thinking through this project, I had a couple of conversations with friends of mine that lead, you know, either for-profit or, or non-profit newsrooms, and some of them were saying, I, I still have some visual journalists, but the problem is I can't keep them because I have no one to edit them. Mm. I have no one to give them feedback. And that's a huge issue. I have no one that's really focused on their growth or skills that they should acquire. And that's something that we built in very heavily in the program, understanding that it's not just about saying to ProPublica, here's a visual journalist, have fun, but really helping shape the work and and provide support for the fellow. That's really interesting because then I I could see wanting to select outlets that are that have uh, staff that have editors who are willing to collaborate. But also by having your you know editors on your side, a visual uh, storyteller editor on your side, there's protection for the person doing the work as well, right? That's right. But it's also, you know, it's it's kind of a cultural fit, too, because, you know, a lot of these newsrooms either never had a visual storyteller, so they were kind of born without anyone on staff um, that did visual storytelling, or, you know, have long lost them. Mm. And so there is no real culture of how do you even think about the story visually, you know? Right. Th- there. It's just so out of what we do is meeting with them and saying, you know, thinking through the story arc, which is what we did, for example, with Selena and David, you know, David initially when thinking through COVID was like, well, maybe I just need to talk to a lot of different people and photograph a lot of different people. And we're like, well, hold on a minute, because you're not really going to be able to follow a lot of people over time. And this is a story over time. So let's just really focus on two or three families and, and build that story arc like that. So you can really kind of go back over and over and over, over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And that, again, is very much us meeting with a newsroom on an ongoing basis and all agreeing that this is the right, that this is the right approach. Yeah. But what's been fascinating, too, is that I think because of that work, the culture of the newsroom changes. And so, you know, a lot of the newsrooms that we worked with in the Bay Area have since moved on full time into doing a lot more visual storytelling. So, you know, Selena's hired David full time. The San Francisco Public Press hired Jessica as both a photographer and reporter. And um, Bay City News has actually started a visual department. So the premise was like, if we start, you know, really working together and, and bringing that culture back, that it might very well stick. And 
a lot of these cases it did and that's that's just wonderful yeah that, that's that's fantastic so let's talk about the the california visual desk i think i read that there's a, a two million dollar investment in uh in creating right. this wow hey, tell me about it yeah so you know again based on those the success of the pilot in the bay area as well as the success of chicago we have set out a plan and have um, managed to get funding to start a much more long-term shared visual desk in California. For the whole state, right? For the whole state. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we are, we have secured um, $2 million in funding for the next three years to be able to do that. And, you know, again, continue the work through those three years so that we're not kind of figuring out every year, like how do mm-hmm. we sustain this program? So this is a much more thought out long-term plan with a great commitment from funders to make this work in the long-term and get to a path of sustainability. I think what we did with the pilots is show the value to funders, both in the media and kind of the creative placemaking space. And now based on those results, they're ready to make much more you know, long-term investments which is great. So the way that it's going to work is that we are going to set up, you know, as we did for those two pilots, a visual desk where we have a visual editor um, working with an executive editor as well as an engagement person kind of on the back end. Mm -hmm. And then working with four to six newsrooms in the first year and then expanding from that in the second and third year to create more visual storytelling and visual representation of California. And it's very exciting for us to be able yeah. to do that and also to have that commitment, you know, right. over over oh, three years. It lets you plan. Allow, <laughs> yes. Right. It lets us plan and it lets us, you know, hopefully get to a path where this becomes, you know, like a, a very, very solid model that then can be um, replicated in, in right. other regions. We've had a lot of interest from other states. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And we'd love to get there. Someday. But, you know, we, we felt like it was important for us to kind of uh, work on sustainability in one location. First. And you, and you had, you had uh, uh, operations and experience in San Francisco. Uh, so it was, a, a, you know, it, it, I guess Illinois could have been another spot, right? You know, I mean, we've had like Colorado there, are many, oh, right. many places doing like really great journalism mm-hmm. and we really want to get there. So that's not, we haven't scratched those plans, right. but we feel like, you know, grow, growing um, slowly, virtually is probably the right, yeah. the right thing to and, do at this stage. So I noticed, you know, funding and, and partnerships, some of the, uh, you know, I recognize some of the foundations and it makes sense, you know, Hearst and Knight and Kresge and... Uh, you you mentioned Report for America before, but uh, I also see um, Photo Wings and Fujifilm and Enlight. And and with Fujifilm, is it? Uh, if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to. Is it money or equipment or? <laughs> it's both. That's I mean, great. Fujifilm. I mean, they're so they've been so good these past few years. I've found, yeah. No, Fujifilm has been phenomenal, and you know uh, we're so grateful they they actually approached us, which is kind of unheard of thanks to a mutual connection and you know i think it's very significant because it is funding but it's also which is great and i can't emphasize again to funders how out there like how important it is to fund operations of organizations like ours because it actually allows us mm-hmm. to plan and have much much better impact in the long run 
but it's also equipment for those visual storytellers yeah. because a lot of the it's just so hard when you are an emerging photographer or not even an emerging photographer, but the cost of the equipment is very significant. Newsrooms don't necessarily have the budget to provide that. And I think, you know, this is a very important gift from Fujifilm to say, you know, we'll provide the equipment for it. Yep. No, I, I, ha- know, I mean, takes- Fuji's not a sponsor here, but my hat's off to Fuji because I've, I've, I've been involved in several other events and organizations where they have stepped up and really been helping out. I feel like they're, they're starting to fill a gap where other, uh, let's just say, camera manufacturers used to, <laughs> used to yeah, be more no, generous. That's exactly, yes. that's exactly right. And again, like stepping in at very important junctures and, you know, in partnership for a whole program, I think is much more significant in terms of the impact that they can have also on the field and that we can have on the field rather than saying, you know, we'll be sponsored for your summit, mm-hmm. which is great, but, you know, it's it's not as much of a commitment to the work that we do more holistically. Right. So, I mean, I'm very grateful to Fuji, and then obviously I'm very grateful to Photo Wings. Photo Wings has been a partner of ours. I'm not familiar with Photo Wings. What kind of organization are they? They are a, an education, like they are a visual kind of education foundation and they like to partner with a lot of visual organizations around education programs so they've been our partner on on education and and bringing some of the work that we do locally to to schools so for example we developed curriculum around visual literacy based on on our local efforts and that curriculum right now is used by yr media for example which is a youth organization in, in san francisco and oakland so Photo Wings has been a great, um, That's fantastic. A great partner. Yeah. Well, the California desk have satellite offices. Is it, is it centrally located? Is it, is it in San Francisco? Uh, well, the desk will be in California is, is kind of what I want to say. <laughs> the, the visual journalists will be in newsrooms across the state of California. Mm-hmm. And then the editor, you know, will, the, the editors will be based in California. We're all kind of working virtually now. Um, right. Catchlight does have an office in San Francisco, the Minnesota Street Projects. And it's been a great base for us. It's where we host a lot of our events. But we have also been working virtually, mostly outside of doing deep work in communities where we have visual journalists working. Yeah. So if if people want to see the work that's being done, the stories that are being made, is the best place the website, catchlight.io? Yeah, Catchlight.io is the best place to go where it's all centrally located. And then again, like City Hall in San Francisco and right. the Legler Public Library right now in Chicago are two great places to, and to, of course, to experience the work in person. The work will uh, will be infused into uh, other organizations. <laughs> so you'll be able yeah, to see it Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, that's the goal. It's I think it's, it's also interesting for us. It's like we have obviously our own destination and audience, you know, for Catchlight, but we're really trying to get to to a lot of other and, and important audiences out there through those collaborations and partnerships. Yeah. Congratulations. And it's really an amazing organization. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you making time for this. No, this is great. Thank you. And, you know, it's always um, so hard to talk about visual work without showing it. So yes. I, uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I appreciate the challenge. Yes. I am, uh, I'm doing a radio show about a visual world. Yes, I, I, I know. <laughs> no, it's great. I'm very grateful for, for, for you and for your you know, support and interest. Well, thanks again. No, thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>